0: this is digital pathology today now here's your host dr joseph anderson one of the biggest pieces of news we've gotten in digital pathology in 2022 is the announcement of new cpt codes from the american medical association specifically for use in digital pathology and just what are cpt codes why should we care how will these new codes help us to elevate the practice of anatomic pathology and allow us to more concretely articulate a value proposition Welcome to Digital Pathology Today. I'm Joe Anderson. Our guest today is Nathan Bookbinder, chief product officer and co-founder at Prosha. We discuss the new CPT codes and much more. We get a current lay of the land for digital pathology in mid 2022. How far have we come in the past five years or so? How far have we come in the past year, which has seen dramatic changes and acceleration in many areas? How does the U.S. differ from Europe in adoption and long-term outlook? And what does our guest see as continued barriers to the adoption of digital pathology? Nathan Bookbinder from ProShow, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, great to be here.
0: A lot of exciting changes and developments, maybe expectedly or unexpectedly in the summer of 2022, not the least of which is new CPT codes for digital pathology. But first let's just get your impression on what's what's the lay of the land uh, in digital pathology in the summer of 2022. It's a great question.
1: It's uh, It really is an exciting time to be a part of this industry. We're seeing things change constantly and evolve very rapidly. I usually break it up by geography. So what I'd say is that in Europe, we're seeing a very mature space that at this point in time, over the last couple of months and quarters, has seen what was already mainstream adoption in many different countries start to translate into a second generation, a second wave of upgrades, updates and expansion of what digital pathology is doing in in routine clinical practice. And we're also seeing artificial intelligence adoption start to be a a significant part of that story, not as a part of the vision, but as a part of the adoption strategy. In the U.S., which had later regulatory clearances, what we're seeing is that adoption is happening quickly. From our vantage point, what we saw is that COVID-19 forced organizations, forced labs to take a, a new look at their digital strategy, how they enable remote operations. And ultimately that led to a evaluation of the return on investment of digital pathology. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to, to CPT. This momentum has carried through throughout the ups and downs of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's really snowballed and we're seeing digital pathology adoption continue to accelerate at a faster pace than ever. Um, it really is a very exciting time to be a part of this industry.
0: that's a good way to put it, we have a lot of momentum. You said two things. One is that Europe, I think everyone knows, is a little bit ahead of us in the game and insofar as going digital, but it's interesting you could say they're already on like maybe version 1.1 or 2.0. They've already implemented their systems and now it's time to upgrade and improve. Whereas in the US, the figure we've heard pre-pandemic or around the time of the pandemic was we're at only maybe five to ten percent adoption i think that's two different uh stories europe and, and the us like you said the pandemic really gave us a shot in the arm i mean if people's only option was to sit at home i think the, you know the industry has to adapt and we have to come up with tools to allow our people to work remotely which is just one of the benefits of digital pathology so What allowed Europe to get ahead? You kind of alluded to regulatory affairs. So what obstacles do we face for further implementation in the U.S.?
1: So what I'd say is that in general, U.S. and Europe, a lot of the obstacles have been the same. We've just overcome them at different paces. I'm sure everyone has heard of the three big challenges. So we just touched on regulatory briefly as a a part of the distinction between US and Europe, but the FDA and CE clearances has certainly been one of the obstacles historically. That's to a large degree a solved problem. It's starting to even be a solved problem when it comes to artificial intelligence as well. The second of the big challenges that we typically talk about is technology and storage, essentially the IT requirements that it takes to go digital successfully. Um, And we've seen something akin to Moore's law when it comes to the performance of the underlying technology that enables a lab to go digital and the cost of storage associated with going digital at scale. What that's done is it's unlocked uh, a surge in adoption. And I'll say that cloud technology um, has, has certainly been a big part of that story, overcoming that big challenge. The third, after regulatory and technology, is what I broadly call usability. When we're talking about digital pathology, we're talking about a core part of the routine workflow It sits at the heart of the pathologist's day to day. But until recently, until very recently, it was only a secondary concern at best, which meant that for labs that were looking to go digital, they could see all of the theoretical benefits of going digital, Well, whether that's consults, remote operations, the integration of artificial intelligence, tumor boards. But the experience for the pathologists themselves had them questioning whether this was really what they wanted to do, whether this was really a shift that they wanted to take in practice. And What we're finding both at Prosha where we take this very seriously, but at other companies as well, uh, is that being pathologist-centric has really resonated, has made an impact on adoption. There's one other challenge that I think is worth highlighting, though, and that's how compelling the return on investment is. It's been an obstacle to overcome. We've definitely had evidence generation in the past, studies that were conducted, really great studies conducted at organizations like University of Pittsburgh Medical Center and others but as adoption has increased it's kind of been a flywheel more and more labs are going digital they're generating the evidence to show how valuable it is to go digital that's encouraging a further wave of adoption with the introduction of artificial intelligence we're seeing that return on investment even get magnified further. So those are the obstacles and, and part of how the industry has responded as a consequence.
0: Four things there. Regulatory barriers, as we mentioned, are coming down. So very briefly in the US, CMS, CLIA, FDA had waived regulatory requirements surrounding COVID. So real quick, do you think we're going to be able to hold on to those gains or practice in a, in a looser environment or are tighter regulation is going to come back.
1: I am certainly not the regulatory expert. Don't have any inside information about what the FDA is thinking on a day-to-day basis, but the way that it currently stands, the way that it currently looks is the emergency use authorization based on current guidance is likely going to last until uh, at least the end of the year with some grace period that follows for technology companies to go through a submission process and Solidify the gains that the industry has seen through a formal regulatory approval. I do think that this is going to last, though, because beyond just the relaxed enforcement policy um, from the FDA, what we've seen is the market response. We've seen faster adoption, and more than anything else, that's really the motivator um, for for all of the players in this space, whether that's regulators, tech companies, uh, and solutions providers laboratories themselves, so uh, whether it's because of a change in guidance, a change in policy, a change in regulations and enforcement, or because of market momentum, the way that we look at it is not only is digital pathology here to stay, but we anticipate that the momentum is going to continue to grow and build off of what it's already seen following the COVID-19 pandemic.
0: Most of us would agree digital pathology is here to stay. So then the second piece, storage or technology, people are sold on Moore's Law that our storage capacities are going to be going up and up and up towards infinity. And our cost to be able to store is going to be going down and down and down towards zero. So I think we've heard that was a big concern. It seemed like maybe between 2015 and 2020 that storage was a big problem. So I think we're managing that effectively. But then the other two are kind of more intangible. So the usability piece and then the ROI. So usability, I think companies like Prosha come in where you're developing image management platforms and middleware and software that will really enhance the experience and allow, and we'll talk about uh, Prosha in a little bit, but just in general, really allow the pathologist to practice in a user-friendly way. I I think we've seen that story play out in other industries like personal computers before desktop operating systems with the mouse Personal computing was very clunky. And similarly, in digital pathology, you could get a scanner, you had your hospital LIS. It just wasn't very functional. In general, how big of a role do you think enhancements in usability have been over the past year or so?
1: Uh, I think it's huge. It could not be overstated. Again, when you think about what we're asking the laboratory and the pathologists and technicians to do in making the, the shift to digital What we're asking them to do is take everything that they've learned and everything that they've done as a part of their core routine work on a day-to-day basis to make a diagnosis for patients and change it now of course the knowledge base their their understanding of pathology doesn't change and the slide preparation doesn't change but the entire mechanism in which they're operating does that's a big deal that's a, a really big ask for somebody who's been practicing for 15 years or 20 years, uh, their microscope, I don't know if I'd say it's their best friend, but it certainly is a, a trusted sidekick that helps them get their job done. I think you can speak for yourself about uh, your love-hate relationship with the microscope, but it, it's certainly a fundamental part of the mechanical aspect of reviewing a case and the intellectual aspect of what your day-to-day looks like. So usability is, is truly fundamental it's not just a matter of good design. It's about really understanding how the pathologist wants to operate, how the technician wants to operate, what they need to see, what can change and what can't as they transition into the digital world and capturing that. Because ultimately, of course, there are some stories of an administrator or a lab director or a chair stepping in and saying, we're going digital because it's the future, period, end of story. But for the most part, unless there's enthusiasm and buy-in from from pathologists themselves not only does it often not happen but when digitization does happen it's not nearly as successful it's it's painful and that's not the way that it should be
0: nobody wants pain i think people are people are set in their ways and there's not the least of which is pathologists the microscope as you said is their friend and sidekick that it's not that the looking in the microscope is, you know, I think outsiders say, well, that's really clunky. That must not be very fun at all. And I think pathologists actually enjoy the microscope. I think it's not so much a battle of fear of technology, but more that human beings are perhaps set in their ways or they enjoy their routines and, and patterns. So it, it may take a lot to, to break them out of that. And then there's a lot of stakeholders. There's a complicated a multi step workflow going from accessioning to tissue processing to cutting the slides to uploading the images. You know, so I think not that's not gonna change overnight or in the blink of an eye or a snap of a finger and so i think enhancing the usability piece i think is key and then the fourth thing return on investment people have this sense of inevitability like clearly this future is digital that's what we're doing but then it's been hard but one of the barriers is that it's been hard to articulate the return on investment we're going to buy all of these very expensive scanners and pieces of equipment and software and computers and monitors and so on. Maybe this is a good segue in, into new CPT codes. Uh, the DPA, uh, in conjunction with a few academic institutions, put out a white paper, you know, highlighting the return on investment in digital pathology in the, in the past year or so and hinting that maybe we've turned the corner. But, it, it, you know, a lot of people I've talked to in the industry say it's, it's really hard to articulate You know, we can sell all the bells and whistles, but it's hard to articulate what actually is the ROI. And then when you think about the return in clinical practice, we're talking about probably the reimbursement. The big announcement was uh, the AMA. Maybe you can give us an overview of CPT coding, but the AMA has announced new CPT codes for digital pathology. So maybe tell, tell us, you know, what are CPT codes? Why should we care about them for digital pathology and what is it gonna help us to do? How's it gonna move the industry forward?
1: Perfect, and you're spot on. Uh, This announcement from the American Medical Association about the new CPT codes is a really big deal. It ties right back to the return on investment side of this. CPT stands for Current Procedural Terminology. It's a set of codes that helps to standardize the language for how we report and bill it's a, essentially a code book issued by the American Medical Association. The way to think of it is that when a healthcare professional performs any procedure or task, there is almost certainly a specific CPT code that's tied to that task or to that procedure that they're performing at the end of the day, or after they're, they're done performing that procedure or task, the medical professional, the healthcare professional will submit a report that lists out the CPT codes for the tasks and procedures that they performed. That report goes to the insurer, to the payer, who then issues a reimbursement. So it very much is the line item on the bill that you send to the insurer. Uh, And the news is that the American Medical Association, in conjunction and uh, with deep conversation from the College of American Pathologists, as well as others in the industry, issued a new set of category three CPT codes specific to digital pathology. And I think it's an amazing thing to see, to be a part of this industry, as we're seeing the introduction of this new line item that can show up in a bill that is specific to uh, digital pathology that specifically calls out the use of digital pathology to review a case, and that ultimately may translate into additional reimbursements for labs that are using digital.
0: One thing that's baffled me, I mean, about pathology over all the years I've been involved is just the lack of CPT codes we've had, basically, one set for surgical pathology, or maybe, you know, depending on how granular you want to be, we have 88304, 88305. 88307 and 88309 for either like a a gallbladder or maybe that's 88302. But, you know, anyway, there's, you know, just one set for like gallbladders and appendixes, one set for routine biopsies, which is 88305, probably the most common code, then for larger 88307, 88309 for a big specimen. And that's it. And we keep hearing about how reimbursement in pathology, independent of digital pathology, in real dollars has been decreasing over the past 40 years or more and I've always thought well it could be related to the fact that we don't really have that many mechanisms to bill for it and if we want to come in and add new services we don't really have a way to show the payer the kind of value that we're creating is that what we're pinning our hopes on here is that with these new codes it's going to reflect that hey we're doing something different here that's required an investment from our laboratory and hopefully we're producing better results or at least different results that needs to be reflected by reimbursing us in a slightly different way
1: the way that i look at it is that there are two ways that you can assess value creation from digital pathology there's the direct per case value that you get from reading a slide digitally from going through that process digitally and there's the indirect but just as meaningful systemic impacts that a lab sees from going digital so to kind of put a better lens on it and be more specific the cpt codes that are created are meant to really understand the per case or per report value that digital pathology is providing without the cpt code Without the new codes that the American Medical Association has has created, we really don't have a good way of understanding that. We can't track it. We can't uh, measure it at scale. We can't analyze the data. And it's therefore very hard to look and say, on a per-case basis, I'm creating X dollars of additional value by being digital. Therefore, if I use digital pathology, I should be able to receive X dollars more from the insurer the other way that we assess value is really systemic, so not per case. And that's where most of the ROI assessments and economic decisions around digital pathology adoption to date have occurred. That's when we're talking about things like enabling access to a broader range of expertise, uh, facilitating consultation, eliminating couriers or reducing the dependency on couriers, improving turnaround time, and enabling remote access to cases supporting tumor boards all of these broad let's call them use cases or uses of digital pathology which matter immensely to the lab create opportunities for cost savings um, create opportunities for new value creation from both an operational and clinical perspective but which are very hard to pin to an individual case both are very important Digital pathology thus far has been justified principally by the latter of those two mechanisms, the systemic improvements. This work with the CPT codes, new CPT codes that have been issued, allow us to directly tie this to something which is top line for for any laboratory, something which ties directly to the laboratory's understanding of, if I use digital pathology, I will see additional reimbursement.
0: Now, maybe could you give us a little behind the scenes or insight into the process? Because, you know, I think CPT coding on the one hand is used every day in all aspects of medicine, but it is often misunderstood or not understood. In terms of actually getting a new CPT code, I think is a is a Herculean task because it's kind of like a chicken and the egg problem. It's like we want, we have this new technology or this new way of doing things and we need a code so we can get paid for it. But in order to actually get the code, you need to show that it's being widely used, right? Because the AMA doesn't want to waste their time. So I think that kind of suggests that we do have a momentum in digital pathology. We do have a core base of users. We do have significant adoption. So right, you know, so you actually need to show that you're actually doing this thing in actual practice. And it's kind of like a a lobbying effort too. So I suspect the CAP was heavily involved. So could you maybe give us any insights you have about what it actually took to get these new codes?
1: You're spot on. It is a chicken or the egg scenario. You know, it's almost like insurers don't want to reimburse labs more than they're reimbursing them today but fundamentally the way that these codes get created is at the most basic of levels that the American Medical Association issues a set of new codes, issues a set of updates. The way that those updates get decided on is exactly what you described. It's through, we'll call it lobbying, conversations with industry, conversations with members of the AMA and conversations with affiliated groups or other groups like the College of American Pathologists. The College of American Pathologists was absolutely instrumental in getting these new codes out. There are groups within the College of American Pathologists that have a particular focus on technology, on digital pathology, especially. And it was through an enormous amount of back and forth, not over the course of a couple of months, but over the course of the past few years that we got to this point where these new codes are issued. There is also something else that's worth bringing into the conversation here, which is that you brought up this notion that it's, it's a chicken or the egg, because how can you show that it's creating more value if you're not getting reimbursed for the value that it's creating? How can you encourage adoption and measure usage and measure that value if you don't have a mechanism by which you can actually track that? And the answer is that there are category three codes. There's different categories of CPT codes. The bread and butter codes that you're used to using that are on a report that you're going to get reimbursed for are category one codes. Those are your standard codes that have, if not a fixed price, at least a well understood price and value associated with them. It's locked in category three codes are let's call them investigational codes. They're not reimbursed for today. Typically they're meant principally to actually help break that chicken or the egg scenario. They're meant to help drive an understanding of actual utilization without a commitment to additional compensation today, but with the understanding that should utilization be high enough, should the value creation that's demonstrated from utilization be high enough that those category three codes get converted to category one codes. These are not a dime a dozen. The AMA is typically pretty conservative about creating these codes but the fact that they have chosen to create it for digital pathology is a reflection of the momentum that we've seen in the market of the sense that this is becoming mainstream in some places it already has become mainstream and that we need to have a good understanding of the value that this is creating
0: category three codes are investigational and someday we're hoping that those can be converted to category one
1: Yep, that's exactly right. Uh, that's the objective. And so, so my uh, little preach to everybody who's out there, when these codes uh, get issued when they're live, anybody who's using digital pathology, please, please, please use these category three codes. It is the only way that we as an industry and payers and the American Medical Association are going to understand what utilization actually looks like and what kind of value it creates.
0: I completely agree that it is very important. So I would certainly encourage all of our pathologist colleagues and coders and billers to to do so. And then I think what is also misunderstood about CPT codes is just because you have the code, it doesn't doesn't guarantee reimbursement or set a level of reimbursement. It just provides a mechanism that you may be able to get reimbursement.
1: That is spot on. The mechanism by which Uh, Providers get paid for their services in the US is complicated beyond belief. But what you said is exactly right. CPT codes allow you to essentially issue a line item on a bill. But while there's a a general understanding of what you probably will get paid, different insurers reimburse different amounts for different CPT codes. They don't always pay for uh, a particular service or procedure that's performed. The medical billing industry is massive. As a consequence, because of all these complexities and intricacies that there are between the provision of a service by a provider and the receipt of payment by that same provider.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not a straight line. Yeah, I wish we had more time to talk about CPT coding. I could go. I have certainly have my opinions about that. Uh, but uh, maybe tell us a little bit about what. You're doing it at prosha we alluded to uh you know how you're developing uh, unique software tools to enhance the the usability experience for pathologists maybe tell us a little bit about what what products prosha has and what you're currently working on
1: prosha is a leading provider of digital and computational pathology solutions we're essentially delivering a software platform that serves both the diagnostic pathology market Called concentric DX and the life sciences research market concentric for research, as well as artificial intelligence applications that layer on top. So our software platform concentric in both of those those two uh, adjacent markets, research and diagnostics, serves as that software center of gravity, the operating system for an image-based workflow whether that's research or clinical. It allows for the collection of data from any scanner, from any system, pulls in data from the LIS, electronic lab notebooks, other analysis tools, and creates the digital universe in which a pathologist or a scientist operates on whole slide images of pathology. Our AI solutions plug in on top in order to augment that experience, in order to drive automation of processes that are rote or mundane or very repetitive, drive efficiency in the the entire process, highlight information that would otherwise be inaccessible to the pathologist or researcher, and drive a better understanding of disease at the most fundamental of levels. Our mission is to change the way the world practices pathology, not by replacing the pathologist to be clear by giving them the tools that they need to better understand what it is that they're seeing and giving labs the tools that it needs to operate in this modern 21st century world that we live in
0: that is a worthy mission to to change the way we practice uh pathology nathan bookbinder from prosha thank you so much for being with us uh so b- before we wrap up tell us a little bit about yourself tell our listeners you know how did you get interested in digital pathology and what and maybe the story of how Uh, prosha came to be founded
1: my background is in biomedical engineering studied it at Hopkins I studied it again at at Georgia Tech a big fan of all things medicine and all things technology while I was at Hopkins uh, with my co-founder David um, and uh, Coleman our CEO and CTO we were doing research in various cancer labs and what we saw was that there was a big disconnect between the enormous impact that pathology makes in, in healthcare decision-making. It, it has an effect on 70% of all treatment decisions that get made for patients. Um, so that's That's on the one side. And the completely underserved technology landscape that there is in that domain. We're essentially operating with the same fundamental tools that we were beginning of the 20th century. Robert Burkow looked under the microscope and we're not doing anything dramatically different. And that's not a problem per se, but it certainly presents a major opportunity. Um, And so, as biomedical innovators, uh, entrepreneurs, we looked at that and said, this is a problem and an opportunity worth addressing. We started off delivering solutions for, for the research community, a platform that grew very quickly to the diagnostic space got regulatory clearances i uh, released ai products on top of it and here we are today a hundred plus person company that is delivering on that mission that vision of changing the way we practice pathology
0: yeah it is it is a great opportunity or a problem and a solution like you said i think 70 to 80 percent of medical decisions are based on you know, pathology and laboratory medicine and yet you know, maybe only 3% of expenditures in healthcare go towards the lab. So I think there's huge opportunity for growth and to show everyone or to share with everyone some of the value we generate. So what excites you? Where do you see the field headed in the next 10 years or so?
1: From my vantage point, we're at this precipice at which technology becomes a thing of the future to it becoming an ingrained part of the way that we practice pathology. My vision for the future is one in which the pathologist is as codependent on their digital pathology platform as they are today with their microscope and more. My vision for the future is one in which the pathologist wakes up and uh, system has alerted them about kind of high impact cases, uh, high priority cases that need review. They look at those cases first, maybe as they're waiting for their coffee to brew. They get to the office, tests have already been performed. They've automatically been triggered they look at these results and regions of interest have been highlighted, reports have been auto populated, they provide their, their own uh, opinion, their own guidance, their own diagnoses, they consult with the attending or the individual who, who's best able to support addressing a question that they might have, and at the end of the day find that they're able to move through these cases faster and practice at the top of their license. Our vision really is one in which we get a deeper understanding of the patterns that there are in each and every image of pathology and leverage that to change the way that pathologists practice and that
0: patients get treated. Stripping away some of the mundane and non-essential tasks and allowing pathologists to focus on what they do best. Well, our guest has been Nathan Bookbinder. We'll see you next time on Digital Pathology Today.
1: This has been Digital Pathology Today. Please be sure to subscribe. Thanks for listening.